2: Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. I am your host, Katherine Seegers, and in today's episode, we will tackle this life-altering question. What steps can we take to prevent suicide in our families and in our communities? Today, we are concluding a two-part series on teen suicide. If you didn't catch the last episode, you really need to. In it, Emma Benoit shared with us about her lifelong battle with anxiety and depression that led her at the age of 16 on the eve of her senior year of high school to take a gun, point it at her chest and pull the trigger. Emma is among the very rare 1% of self inflicted gunshot victims to survive. She is a miracle. She shared the first part of her story with us in the last episode. We also talked with Jennifer Ellers, a counselor with the American Association of Christian Counselors, who shared with us some vital tips on how to spot what may be suicidal tendencies or thoughts in younger children under the age of 12, which unfortunately is a growing trend. We will pick up today's conversation right where we left off with Emma and Jennifer. We will be exploring the spiritual aspects of suicide along with the physical and mental. We will talk about the signs that we should look for in older children And we will discuss the most important steps we can take to prevent suicide in our families and our communities. And we will get an update on how Emma is doing in her recovery. I know that you want to know. That's the plan for this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World. So let's get started. Before we get started, I would like to take just a moment to acknowledge a very significant milestone here at CPCW. This is episode 50. You know, in the spring of 2021, I could not imagine all the places that we would go on this show. And I'm so grateful to God and to Life Audio for this amazing opportunity. And I'm looking forward to all of the places we're going to go in the next 50 and beyond. The goal in this podcast is to make a difference in the lives of parents and children, to explain difficult theological concepts, to encourage, to inspire, and to address tough cultural and social issues that affect our families. No topic is more serious or pressing than the one we are talking about today. Teen suicide. As I mentioned in the last episode, 20 young people choose to end their own lives every single day in the United States. A 2019 study revealed that almost 9% of high school students admitted to having attempted suicide In the previous year, there's been a 33% increase in suicide since 1999, making suicide the second leading cause of death in young people today. We simply could not be discussing a more important topic. With that in mind, let's pick up this conversation right where we left off as Emma is talking about what happened immediately after she
1: shot herself in the chest. So immediately after I pulled the trigger, my mom actually came back on the other end of the phone because like I said, she had placed me on hold and she got back on the line. And obviously I was non responsive. And she said that she just had a really bad feeling, a really bad gut feeling. She calls it mother's intuition or a sign from God. But she just said that she knew something royally bad had happened. And so she just decided to leave work and come home. And fortunately, she found me immediately as when she got home and was able to get the first responders on the way and um, really just play a part in saving my life. I think Honestly, it was a culmination of every person responding at a quick pace. But certainly, the only thing to attribute my second chance to is the sheer and utter grace of God. That is truly the only way to describe it because I am in that 1%. And, you know, people don't survive gunshot wounds to the chest. They don't survive things that I had that I survived. So, there's no other way to describe it other than a sheer miracle. And no doubt, no doubt.
2: You know, I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter sixty one verse three. It talks about there being a spirit of despair. Some versions of Scripture call it a spirit of heaviness. And what i I see and in the instances that I've encountered suicide throughout my life and other families, It seems like this, we talk about the physical aspects of of what people go through, and that's certainly a part of it, but there is a very spiritual battle in play here as well. And, And when you're describing, to me, you're describing the seductive quality to it, and Kevin, the same thing, the same exact thing. And then the instant, the instant you commit to the act, oh, it relieves the pressure, and you realize that it that we're not just physical beings. It's Mm -hmm. not just a physical battle that there's a very physical component to it. No doubt about it. There are, there's brain chemistry involved that makes some people more susceptible, but there's a spiritual battle going on here. And honestly, it just, uh, it just makes me so angry at the enemy that he, he twists and contorts and lures and tempts and suggests that this, this action is what is going to relieve you. And yet it's not what you want. And so I praise God. I praise God that you're still here with us today to tell your story. You know, I'm I'm reminded of David throughout the Psalms. He was clearly, clearly (laughs) a very depressed man. So I would like to talk to that aspect a bit about it just a little bit, Jennifer. Could you talk to that? My frustration that I felt suffering from clinical depression and anxiety for for nearly 20 years is that the doctor's would want to treat all the physical aspects of it and ignore the spiritual. And, you know, I actually had one doctor say, well, if you don't want to take this medicine, I can't help you. And the medicine wasn't working. (laughs) And I'm like, it's not working. And, you know, I'm all for medicine. I have a problem with that, but it wasn't working. And then you get in Christian circles and they tell you the opposite. The Christian circles will tell you, oh, we can just pray it away and you just need to have more faith. And they ignore the physical aspects to it. Can you speak to that frustration a bit? Because I know I felt it battling
0: anxiety and depression for so long. Absolutely. And it's so confusing for people, especially Christians. What do I do? Because they're getting maybe one message here and another message there. And first of all, let me just say, I'm so sorry that a doctor would say I can't help you if you won't take this pill. So let me say the things that we're talking about, depression, anxiety, and definitely the problem of suicidality that can go with both of those or any other mental health problem is not just a mind or a spirit issue. It's a mind-body-spirit issue. All of them are, by the way, we are all whole beings. God created us to be mind-body-spirit. And if you leave out any one aspect of that, then you're not treating the whole person. And so the best approach is really to approach all three. For many people, there is a biological Mm -hmm. uh, component to depression or anxiety, but that's not all there is. And there are people who struggle- terribly with depression or anxiety that it's really not biological and you know the things that we have thought in the mental health field for years that depression is really serotonin based we're starting to question that because some of the new studies are showing oh maybe we can't really verify the link that we thought was there to certain neurotransmitters and so what we know is that it can look different for every person But what we know is that for every person, there are some physical aspects. So you need to address the physical. And as a Christian counselor, the first thing I do with any client is I want you to go to your doctor, your family physician, your internal medicine doctor and get a full physical workup and a a blood panel because there's so many things that can influence that. But you've got to talk about counseling and you do have to talk about the spiritual Like we've just been talking about, I'm convinced like you that while there is a mental health explanation for depression, anxiety, and suicide, when it comes to that point of actually attempting suicide or ending your life, you won't convince me that there's not a spiritual Mm -hmm. component as well, and that there's warfare, and that 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 voice that Kevin heard, that seduction power you're talking about, I absolutely believe it's Satan who wants more than anything. Yes, for people to end their lives, that's that I do think that is that seductive piece of that. So I think it's approaching it from body, mind and spirit, but also then really respecting that individual and where they're coming from emotionally, spiritually, physically, and working with them to attack what's going on with their mental health on all fronts. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a component and the best approach is to treat the whole person. That means look at the medical things. And for some people that will maybe mean trying some medication. But let me just also mention, and I say this a lot when I speak about depression, this is across age groups. That most research studies show that physical ac- exercise, physical yes. activity, moderate physical exercise three to four times a week is as effective or more effective in clinical studies at treating depression than antidepressant medication. So the medicine is not the only answer. Now, for some people, they may need that. And like you said, for some people, it really works. And I don't want people to just assume that that's not helpful or that they shouldn't listen to a doctor and maybe try it. But I've had a lot of clients who tried antidepressants and like you, they didn't work. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is even harder to medicate because some of the anti-anxiety medications also have a, a really powerful addictive quality that we don't want people, especially young people, to have. So we, we do have to be willing to explore other things, but diet, exercise, prayer, definitely counseling, and then other approaches, other lifestyle approaches. And let me just mention one thing I don't want to get ahead of things here. But what we also know contributes for younger people is the amount of screen time that they are, the amount of time that they're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, their phones on on screens, the higher the screen time, it really correlates with higher levels of depression and anxiety. And so that's another thing, a lifestyle intervention is, can we start to limit the amount of screen time for ourselves? And this is, by the way, across age groups, not just young people, but help young people find other things that they can participate in and limit that amount of screen time. Because I know it's a factor. We're not going to lump everything on social media because that's it's multi-factors. There are many, but there are so many things that contribute that we need to be looking at all of those. We're not going to lump everything on social media because that's it's multi factors. There are many, but there are so many things that contribute that we need to be looking at all of those.
2: Yes. I love the way you put that. Thank you so much. Yeah. I got so frustrated in my journey, like I said. And, and, you know, medications did help for a bit, but I had what, you know, I was back in the Prozac day and, you know, they had Prozac burnout and it just stopped working. And that frustration, I, and you're so right, I finally did get into a good exercise regime. That helped so much. Diet helped a lot. Cognitive behavioral therapy, I did that for a while for anxiety, that was helpful. But, honestly, there were some deep spiritual wounds that the Lord healed me of that it was kind of a cesspool deep inside of me. And when that cesspool got cleaned out, didn't fix all the brain chemistry, but it fixed what the brain chemistry was feeding on. Mm -hmm. For me, that was my journey. And when, I, I praise God, I can say this, I was on medication for 17 years. When God cleaned that out and I allowed him to, he had been you know, kind of pressing me to do that for a long time. When he cleaned that out, I was able to go off and manage without it. Not that I don't still have issues sometimes, but I'm, I'm doing well. So I know that there's hope. And here's what I know. God has a plan to deliver everyone. He does. He has a plan. We have to submit to his prescription, whatever that means, though. So let's talk about then some of those proactive things. You've already mentioned some of them, Jennifer. Let's talk to Emma for just a few minutes about what would you say to another young person, another teenager or young adult who might be thinking about committing suicide? What would you tell
1: them? It's not over yet. Hmm. Do not let go just yet. It's not over yet. It's okay to feel that way. There's nothing wrong with you because you want to die. I know if someone would have told me that it really, I feel like would have made a huge difference. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I carried so much shame behind my thoughts and my feelings. And I want young people to know if you're there, if you're in that place, it's okay, but it's not the end. And you can get through this. You absolutely have every ability and tool to get through this. You just have to reach out for help. You just have to lean into hope, even though it might not feel like there's anything to be hopeful for, or there's nothing to look forward to, or like you're permanently stuck like this. I promise you it gets better. Mm -hmm. Just hang in there. It gets better. And hope is so real. I'm so glad that I finally can see that hope is real. Even whenever I'm having a rough patch or in a moment of despair, I still have hope because I know that it gets better. So I want every young person to know that it's not over yet and it gets better.
2: What would you say is the single most important thing that has helped on your road to recovery?
1: The best piece of advice that I heard when I was going through therapy after the attempt was it's okay not to know where you're going. It's okay not to have it all figured out. Kids put so much pressure on themselves, especially in our modern day society where everything is instant gratification, instant this, instant that, you know, success is like the best thing to a kid, you know, this, it's this image of stress-free life. And there's so much pressure on our youth today. And so I want kids to know, take off that pressure. It's okay not to know what you want to do with the rest of your life. It's okay not to know what things you truly have a passion for. It's okay. You have time. Give yourself grace and give yourself the space to just grow. Like grow with life. That would be that was the best advice that I heard because it it really just spoke to me. You know, I had never heard a piece of advice addressed directly to the thing that like always constantly plagued me and bothered me. So when I heard that when I was 16, 17, that really made a difference. So I hope that by hearing that it, it can help young people to know that, you know, you have time, just give yourself space and grace and mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer,
2: you talked earlier a little bit about some of the things we might see in younger children. Are those the same kind of signs we would see in older children that might be contemplating suicide? Or does that look different in a child that was Emma's age?
0: Yeah, it can look different, certainly with teens. But what we see some additional things that can be some of those things, but also withdrawal from Mm -hmm. family and friends. And then also so... Starting at that age, maybe some issues with substance abuse, substance use or abuse, as well as one of the big caveats is maybe any kind of self-harm. If you've heard of cutting or non-suicidal self-injury, those are all some signs, mostly that we see in older kids, older teens or young adults, in addition to those same things that we saw in younger kids. But let me also mention something that I just think is critical, and we've sort of all danced around it. And that is being able to talk about feelings and emotions. And we hear a lot, and certainly in mental health fields, this term of emotional intelligence. And what that really means is from a young age, from little kids, we need to encourage them to talk about their feelings, be able to identify the feelings they're feeling, and then put language to it and normalize it when I'm sad, when I'm angry, and then as they get older, maybe more nuanced emotions, like I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling like a failure or I'm having all this anxiety about not being the the level of success I need to be. And unfortunately, I think as a society, we don't normalize feelings the way we should. The truth is every person of every age has feelings both positive and negative. There are times when we feel sad or scared or upset or depressed or anxious, but it's how we're able to then talk about that openly and honestly, have that normalized and validated. But then also something that Emma mentioned is help teach young people of all ages. What are the healthy ways to cope when we have those feelings? How do we comfort or soothe ourselves in ways that are healthy versus unhealthy so that people don't have to mask them, but we know the things that we can do that then can help us feel better. But we also don't feel alone, isolated or the shame and stigma of having those sad feelings, because guess what? We all do. Everybody does. And to sort of this image that we have of picture-perfect lives of people that are always happy and joyful. That is unrealistic across the board. Let's just Mm -hmm. be honest. That's not real. That's not real in churches. That's not real in our families. That's just not real. And we are doing a very poor job, I believe, across all levels in society of teaching people how to cope with those bad, sad feelings and anxiety. Come on, with the world we're living in, we all, mm-hmm. even those of us who have great faith in Jesus, we have moments where we're going, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. This is looking pretty dark out there or things are pretty rough. Look at the economy or look at all the violence. And, you know, it's OK. It's OK to have those feelings and also know then what to do with it. The things that we do, talk to other people, pray, pray read scripture, listen to music, do things with others in our life, get engaged in having real relationships with people that make us feel safe and better and are able to to really listen to what we're going through and support us through that.
2: Yeah. You know, I think a large part of the problem and Emma grew up in a, a different world than I did and you did. We don't have these picture perfect lives, but according to Instagram and Facebook, we do. <laughs> so it looks that way on the outside. So it's easy. It's it's a lot easier, I think, for a child in this generation to say, well, that's not how I feel on the inside, because that's look what everybody else's life looks like. But none of their lives are like that. It's just a facade. It's just a veneer. And I love you keep anticipating exactly where I'm going, Jennifer. We're on the same wavelength. My next question, which I think you just answered was how to get our kids to open up emotionally, because it's like you said, we aren't talking about our feelings. So I think you just spoke to that. But what what should we do then as parents when we see, OK, this child really is struggling? This child is in trouble. What steps should we take when we know we've got a child who may be contemplating suicide?
0: Well, and it depends on if you just say they're struggling or they're contemplating suicide. And I do, I do want to go to Emma's story next because I think it would was, is important for her to speak to this. But if you just know that your child is struggling, then you want to talk to them about it again mm-hmm. in a way that's not shaming or accusatory, but bring it up to them in a way that says, I love you and I want to help in any way I can. Let's talk about this and then get them help in a way that feels safe to them. And, and that can honestly, so much can be accomplished just by acknowledging and validating their feelings and saying, I'm going to help you with it. And we are going to approach this together. But if the, the young person is actually suicidal, then you have to sort of, if there's a threat of imminent harm, if the young person is suicidal, then there's some other steps to take. You definitely want to consult a mental health professional right away. And get that person, that, that young person, no matter what age, into to see a counselor. You may want to make sure then that they are physically safe by taking lethal means that might be available in the home out of the home. If there are guns, get them locked up or out of the home, preferably. If there's any medication that they could use to harm themselves, making sure that is taken away And then just putting some safety protocols around them if there's imminent threat. And by the way, there are suicide hotlines I'm sure you're going to have information on. And now there are ways that you can text and just easy ways for young people to access 24-7 suicide crisis lines if that's an imminent threat so again, it depends on how much of a crisis this is, but I would love for Emma to speak to that because I know that, you know, in retrospect, she has a lot to say on what would have made a difference maybe
1: for at different points in her journey. Well, I think, I think everything that you were just mentioning a minute ago, Jennifer were, could have been things that could have been positive factors that may have made my story look a little different. So growing up, mental health was completely stigmatized. I grew up in an environment that you don't talk about your feelings and you don't, you don't really feel your feelings. Even you just, you get rid of them or you suppress them or you compartmentalize them to keep going and moving forward with your life because your busy life is the priority, not your feelings or how you're, what you're thinking. So that's kind of the, the reality that I grew up in. So naturally, as I got older, talking about my feelings, talking about the way things affected me emotionally and mentally was so foreign and it was so uncomfortable. So I never did. And I certainly didn't want people to view me as someone who was damaged or someone who struggled mentally or emotionally because of that stigma. Because I grew up thinking that only certain types of of people deal with these types of issues. And I'm not one of those types of people. I grew up thinking that suicide is not a part of my family. It's just not in our family. And so I grew up very naive to all of these real realities when it comes to our emotional health. And so I feel like had the environment been a little bit different for me growing up, had there been more conversations when I got home from school that looked like, how was your mental health today? Did you have any big feelings that you want to talk about? as opposed to what did you learn, how was school? Because like we've been talking about, young people are smart. They know what they can tell their parent just to get them to stop bothering them. And so I went through those motions, You know, I would say, oh, it was fine, it's fine, because A, I didn't wanna talk about it because I didn't know how, and B, I didn't think anyone would care or listen to acknowledge it and validate it. So I think having just the environment be completely different And recognizing that mental health and suicide doesn't have a face, a race, a class, a gender identity. It just doesn't a a faith base. It just, it doesn't. It's a human thing that human beings go through and experience. Um, I think really would have made a difference just overall humanizing humans again and teaching myself and my brother that, you know, feelings are valid and no feeling is something that needs to be ignored. Mm -hmm. It could have been helpful. And also, I want to make this statement because I truly think that had that environment been like that when I was growing up, then I think that if someone would have asked me, are you having thoughts of suicide? Have you ever had a thought of harming yourself? That I would have certainly opened up about it because ultimately that was such a scary thing for me in the moment when I was having those types of thoughts. That if someone would have approached me and said, hey, you know, what's going on? Are are you, you know, just ask me the question, are you having thoughts of suicide? It would have made it 10 times more real. And I think it would have prevented me from making the decision.
2: Wow. Just asking you point blank like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I got the trailer for my Ascension in my mailbox and, you know, we've got five kids, we homeschool, we're crazy busy. And let me just speak very quickly. One of the things we've done with a couple of my kids that one of them struggles with anxiety and my kids have some, you know, ADHD things and they were asking for help. And so it took a long time. It was very hard to search out and find someone that our insurance even covered it. And so we've been able to find some places where they can go and get counseling for anxiety, get some learning strategies for the w- areas where they're struggling. So I would encourage parents to do that too, to check into what your insurance may offer in terms of counseling, Christian counseling even. We were able to find. So that's a good choice. But my daughter who struggles with anxiety after I got your the trailer and watched that, I'm like, uh, we need to have a talk, you know. Again, you know, we do talk, but I it had been a little while, we're busy. And I went up in her room and I sat down. I'm like, how you doing? How's it going? How's the anxiety? And I, I did ask her point blank, kind of like, like you suggested, um, have you ever thought about harming yourself?
1: Mm-hmm. She's
2: like, what do you mean? Like cutting? And I'm like, well, yeah. Have you ever thought about that? And she's like, I've thought about it. And I'm like, well, have you ever thought about doing something more permanent? <laughs> and she told me, uh, she's like, mom, no, I, you know, I, there've been times when I've felt despair. I haven't, wanted to live, but I, I, you know, because of the anxiety being so bad, but she hasn't thought about doing that, but that was a good conversation to have. And I'm like, look, you know, it's, if you do have those feelings or thoughts, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. I felt them. Many people have felt them. And we sat down and we watched the film together and talked about it. So I think it's a very good thing. I've talked about it with several of my kids, you know, (laughs) is this something you have thought about? And I think, I think, What I'm hearing you say, one of the things that would help a lot is knowing other people feel this way. Other people have thought these thoughts. Other people have battled through them. They have gained victory and they are not in that hopeless place Mm -hmm. forever. So before we end today, I I know my audience is going to want to know, how are you doing now? Emma, can you tell us a little bit about your physical recovery?
1: Yeah, so now physically I am able to walk on my walker. I have regained about 80% of my abilities Mm -hmm. since going into the hospital, which when I was brought to the hospital, I was paralyzed from the neck down. And so I've regained 80% of my abilities and I have full sensation throughout my entire body. And yeah, I have just made so much progress in my recovery journey physically. And that too, I can only attest and attribute to God himself because the leaps and bounds that I've had to you know, overcome have truly been just a testament of his faithfulness in my life, and I can drive normally without any adaptations to my vehicle, which was a huge stepping stone and goal for me. And I live independently, so that's it's just been truly an amazing journey and one that I can look back and reflect on and just see God's hands all all up in it. So, yeah, and I'm doing great now. I I share my story with so much gratitude in my heart. And I have so much hope for the future. I truly do. And I feel each and every day more and more blessed to not only still be here, but to have such a strong passion and something I truly feel is a calling. So I'm doing really well and I'm super happy and grateful. Mm.
2: I remember at one point in the film, it was one of the, I think most dramatic points of the film. You said you asked God why he was doing this to you. Can you just tell
1: yeah. his response to you very, very quickly? Yeah, I was in a mess of a situation on one day in the hospital. And I just remember shouting up to God and just saying, why are you doing this to me? You know, I just wanted to escape the stress and the pain. And you have just added more. I'm glad you kept me here. But why did you leave me like this? You know, why did you leave me with this broken body? And he said, I'm not punishing you. I'm rewarding you. Be patient. And those words stuck with me so hard. And actually, after that experience and that encounter is when I decided to just dive into my faith and really lean into it. And so, yeah. Mm.
2: Well, can you tell our audience then where they can find out more about your journey and your mission and ministry and My Ascension, the documentary that chronicles your story?
1: Yes, certainly. So if you want to learn more about the documentary film, you can check us out. We have a website. It's www.myascension.us, and we're also on Facebook, so you can give us a thumbs up or a like on Facebook to follow along um, on what we've been doing. The documentary film is a feature-length film that currently is being shown to community events and high school students, um, as well as middle school students. But it's been truly one of the greatest additions to this journey has been the film. And it's been a great tool to be able to talk about these things and spark these conversations with kids. So if you're interested in learning more, like I said, Check us out. It's MyAscension.us and MyAscension on Facebook. Mm. And Jennifer,
2: likewise, can you tell us how they can find out more about your work and the American Association of Christian Counselors and their suicide prevention program?
0: Uh, Yes. Our website is AACC.net. That's AACC.net for the American Association of Christian Counselors. We have many, many resources. We actually did a virtual screening of the My Ascension film for our membership. And I know we're, we're planning to actually have a panel discussion with Emma. And I'm sure we're going to be including Emma in some of our other events and things like that. But they can find out information about the HOPE Focus 3R Suicide Prevention Program that you mentioned. We have both a general version and then we also now have a youth version that's available at AACC.net. Wow.
2: Emma and Jennifer, I just cannot thank you enough for joining me today. Emma, thank you for sharing your heart and your story. And Jennifer, thank you for sharing your expertise. It is my fervent prayer that your work and even this single episode of Christian Parent Crazy World will save lives and it will point people towards freedom in Christ. If you, your child, or anyone you know is having thoughts of suicide or maybe actively considering suicide, call the suicide hotline now. They have made it easier than ever. Now, just like you call 911 for an emergency, you can call 988 to reach the National Suicide Hotline. Just those three numbers, 988. We'll get you connected to help, to hope, and to life. And be sure to check out Emma and Jennifer's resources as well. Moms and dads, we need to engage with our kids often. We need to have heart-to-hearts with them. We need to ask the tough questions. We need to pray. I'm going to put together a list of scriptures, moms and dads, that you can pray over a child or anyone who is battling anxiety or depression or any form of mental illness. I'm going to offer that list of Bible verses as a free resource for subscribing at my site at katherynesegers.com. If you're already a subscriber, just open the email about this episode on preventing teen suicide and you will find it there but i'd like to leave you with my favorite hope-filled verse that god used to help bring me out of a 17-year battle with depression and anxiety i have more episodes planned on this topic so i will share that story with you in a future episode but i love 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 psalm chapter 41 verses 1 through 3 it says he inclined to me And he heard my cry. He lifted me up from the pit of despair out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Lord, I pray that many troubled souls many young people and old people alike will put their trust in the Lord through the work of Emma and Jennifer in this podcast. God bless you, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank you for joining me today. Look, I know there are a lot of things you could be listening to right now, and I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and following me on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, oh and maybe you could say that Christian Parent Crazy World is the best podcast you've ever heard in your entire life. You know, uh, j- just a thought. Uh, and be sure to check out my website, which is katherinesegers.com. That's Catherine with a C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and And blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement. God gave you your kids, your specific kids, for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God created them
1: to be. We'll see you next time. Christian Parent, Crazy World is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Has fear stolen your
0: peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.